Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian, and you're listening to How Are You Doing Really? In today's episode, I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Joel Brown. Joel is a diversity and inclusion specialist, practitioner, uh, as he put it, global citizen committed to doing the work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. In today's episode, he shares quite a bit about his personal experience growing up gay, black, and in America. How he has never really felt like there's been a place for him here. And just from a very young age, um, being told by his mother that the world was going to be his, but he was going to have to work twice as hard as white folks. And in addition to that, that people were going to judge him based on things that didn't even pertain to his, his character. Just imagine uh, growing up and hearing those statements and wondering when and how that might show up for me. And just allow yourself to hear the, the resilience, the knowledge, and the wisdom that Joel has, has gained from being who he is and fully embracing it. He speaks to black resilience and just also sharing about how being black there's uh, an element of constantly forgiving being civil in the face of numerous incivilities and and microaggressions and being the bigger person and also allowing um, space for the full breadth of his experience he said, you know, I, I don't want to be superhuman anymore. I just want to be myself. And I hear those words and I hope others are really able to hear those words as well. And, and just the wisdom that, that comes from this conversation. If you know of anyone who would benefit from hearing, please pass this podcast along. Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian and today I'm joined by my friend Joel Brown. Joel is a uh, global diversity and inclusion, um, would you call it a, a strategist or um, a con consultant um, or just uh, how, how would you how would you put that um, into part of the work that you you do? Sure, I would say practitioner. I would say consultant. I would say change agent. I think the most important thing is global citizen, which means recognizing the importance of the work and also recognizing the importance of still learning and being humble about doing the work. So. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the invitation and I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really um just grateful that you you're able to to be on the show with me today. And um one of the things like that I I was saying before 
um, bringing, bringing on people to, to share about their experience during this time. And I started this podcast initially shortly after COVID and um, the shelter in place happened. And as things have gone on, um, more recent events have unfolded. And with that, um, I, I came across your, your article that you had written on, on LinkedIn and um, it, it really struck me. Um, you know, I, um, I think hearing and, and seeing the news uh, about another um, black man, person of color um, being treated in a way that is inhumane and um, just outright wrong and and um, I I feel like when when that really hit and and I, I saw it I there there's just this deep part of me that that had to to sit with some really uncomfortable feelings, um, some sadness, some grief. Um, and in addition to that, sitting with my own internalized racism and, and the way that it shows up um, and, and has shown up throughout my life. And so I, I've asked myself, like, how, how can I help? change the situation and how can I start doing the work that that needs to be done to um, change change things moving forward it, it cannot happen anymore and I after after reading your article and and seeing just like the way I, I think you you said this isn't like a microwavable like fix um, it, and I, I'm well aware that it's not just like, we're, we're going to do this for a week or a month. Like this is an ongoing process that we will all need to be in. And, um, yeah, it's it just, there's a lot of emotion that rises in me as I, as I even, um, talk about this again. And I've been having these conversations with friends and with family, um, and, I, I just really would love to just open it up and, and hear how, how you're doing and, and um, if there's anything that you're, you're feeling strongly uh, compelled to share in this moment. How am I doing? Uh, at the moment, I'm feeling okay. Um, and what I mean by okay is I'm, I'm feeling, I think it's important to give backstory uh, to let you know how I'm doing in the present. So, I would say two weeks ago, I was feeling full of anger. I was feeling full of rage. I was sad. I was depressed. I was horrified because not only is this the latest uh, murder by law enforcement of uh, a person of color, and we know since then there have been uh, two trans people, two black trans people who have also been killed by the police, although the details are still a little fuzzy. 
But also because Minneapolis is like a home. You know, I always say I grew up, uh, I was raised in Milwaukee, but I grew up in Minneapolis. And what do I mean by that? That's where I became a man. That's where I entered, started my professional life. That's where I came out. That's where I got my first degree. Uh, Minneapolis is a very important part of my journey. And I was just there uh, a little over a year ago eating soul food in the area where he was murdered, George Floyd, uh, where the uprising began. Uh, I used to shop in the area all the time in college. I'm very familiar with that area. And so it's, it's a bit surreal. It's, um, so, you know, I had to process those emotions. And of course, my own interactions with the Minneapolis Police Department, as well as police departments across the country, because I've been pulled over in every city that I've lived in. I've had guns drawn on me. I've been frisked. I have been accused of matching some criminal profile. I have been racially profiled. It's just happened. So when these things happen, it brings up all these emotions. But then last week, I just felt exhausted. And the image that I paint for people is wanting to stay in bed and pull the covers over my my head because I was just was exhausted. I was just tired. Um, because it's a lot. And so this week, I'm no longer feeling as exhausted. I'm feeling a little hopeful. I'm also feeling concerned because I've seen this happen before where there's outrage and something else takes our attention. We go to someplace else. So I've been processing all of it. I've been concerned about members of the community who I've seen traumatized and in pain. I've been concerned about my younger relatives and how they're processing things. I, uh, yeah, I'm all of it. And, and depending on the day and the minute, I could be something completely different. Uh, so I, I think the best way to describe how I'm feeling now is kind of empty. Like I feel like I've gone through all these emotions. I've gone through this storm. I've gone through all this weather. And now I just feel kind of spent. And the good thing about feeling empty is that it gives you the opportunity to be filled up again with something different. And so what I'm inviting from the universe, what I'm asking for is to be filled with hope and love and compassion. And also being mindful that nothing has changed right now. Uh, you still have four officers who have not been pro prosecuted, convicted. You still have Breonna Taylor. Um, killers, the police officers who have not been arrested. There's been nothing done in terms of her case. And we're still seeing black and brown who are being um, victimized. And so I worry about that. And I will also say too that I uh, have law enforcement in my family. So I, I also just want to be very clear that while I do believe that the way that we look at policing has to be completely torn down and rebuilt back up. Um, I also know that there are a lot of officers who do the right thing, who do care about the community, who are concerned about what's happening. And um, they're trying to overcome and deal with the blue culture within the police forces where they work. So it's, it's a mixed bag. And so uh, right now I'm, I'm feeling, like I said, a little depleted, but also a little optimistic. I um I I hear that it that it hit close to home um you know growing up in Milwaukee and living in Minneapolis and um you you mentioning eating at a restaurant close to where George Floyd was murdered and um just sitting with what that that brings up in you and and being 
um, a person of color who's received this um, unjust and I'm not sure how you would exactly put your um, experience with with the police towards you. What what words that you would specifically use? Um, but I I hear that and and I hear about just seeing what's happening, what what has continued to happen um, recently, and and not seeing any action being taken fully um, up against these police officers that have, have murdered innocent people. And, um, and I, I, I know you're not alone. Um, and I, being a person of color as well, um, I feel like there's, there's like a, there's a, a way in which I, I can relate because I I've experienced discrimination because of my race, but I, I feel like there's still more that I don't fully understand. Um, and, and I, I'm wondering like if, if you could, if you feel comfortable just helping me understand just a little bit more, um, what that that's like for you. When you say, what's that like, you mean just in terms of what's happened with George Floyd, being black in America, um, dealing with law enforcement, all of the above? All of the above, yeah. All of the above, okay. Um, hmm. We could talk about this for a week and, well, probably longer than that. Here's what has been infuriating for me, and I'll be just going to speak it and be real. Um, If there were no video would people have the same level of outrage? And that to me is part of the issue, right? Is there's a lot of angst and anger. I see a lot of people who are upset. And thank God for iPhones, thank God for um, camera phones, Androids, whatever device you have, because without those devices, do we have this conversation? So to me, that still points to the fundamental problem that we as a society have a problem believing black people. We have a problem honoring people of color. We have a problem honoring the narratives of people who are marginalized. So there's that. And the the well from which those officers drank in order to do what they did and to allow what happened to happen also is creating the health disparities around COVID. It also impacts the disparities in education, in jobs, in every facet of global life. And I'm really saying global because sometimes, now I've been in 44 countries, uh, I consider myself um, more third culture than American because I've spent so much time abroad now, but also being African American, which is a distinct cultural. Uh, experience from being quote unquote mainstream American, you know, I, I kind of, and then also being LGBTQ and also being indigenous. Um, there's not a lot of places where you, you fit neatly. And so I'm able to see things from more of a global standpoint. But the reason why I say it's global is because of course these things are happening all over the world. 
there's happening in different places. Uh, we, we hear stories about African immigrants in China right now, how they're being targeted. We've heard stories about African immigrants in places like Chile. We hear what's happening with Afro-Brazilians in Brazil. We see what's happening with darker-skinned peoples on the shores of Europe, immigrants, Arabs and Muslims. So this is all coming from the same place. And what I find really interesting right now is that people are, you're hearing some people, particularly our companies say, we're really against, we support Black Lives Matter. And I wanna ask them, do you support Black lives within your organizations? Do you support Black lives within your friendship circle? Do you support and think about how you treat Black people who you feel are um, not your, who are you know, in service occupations, the people who you date, the people who are part of your community? I mean, this is a very relevant time to discuss this within the LGBTQ community. Happy Pride to those of our members who are listening. So it's all over the place, right? So there's, there's that part. And then there's the part of me that when it comes to the U.S., um, hmm, never quite feeling embraced here. Uh, and it's a feeling that's become normalized. I wish I could say that I didn't feel that way. And it's always been there. And... Never, you know, knowing that, yes, this is very much my, my land. These people are my people. Even the people who don't think I'm their people, the people who don't look like me, we're all the same people. Mm-hmm. But also recognizing that the government has not represented me and has not had my best interest at heart. And, has def- and for all the atrocities that the American government has committed outside the U.S., it has also done a lot to impact my African ancestors, my indigenous ancestors, my great-grandparents were chalked off. Uh, so, you know, we could talk about the Trail of Tears. So there's that. And then in terms of law enforcement, yeah, it's, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say to you that when I see law enforcement that I, I don't get nervous. And in fact, the other day I was, I went to get cookies, you know, comfort food. Like I was eating a bunch of cookies the last two weeks and thinking, why am I eating all these cookies? Because I'm usually watching my diet and not eating a lot of sugar, but I do have a weakness for cookies and popcorn. So I went to get cookies with a friend. And as we're driving away from the cookie shop, there were cops on every corner. And then at some point there were five cop motorcycles behind us. And I said to my friend, I need you to pull out your phone. He, he thought it was funny. Like he started joking. This is a friend who's attended, he's non-black and he's attended these BLM protest. And he said to me, well, why, you know, what do you think they're going to do? And I said, please just pull out your phone and get ready to record if necessary. So he pulls it out and he said, you know, well, you didn't do anything. So when the cops turned and went down a different street, I pulled over and I had to have a conversation with him because I said to him, what have you been marching for? I said, you don't seem to understand this issue. I said, do you think that George Floyd or Tamir Rice or um, Mike Brown or Philando Castillo or uh, any of the people, Eric Garner, who have been Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, the list goes on and on and on. I said, do you think that they deserve to die? Do you think many of them were doing anything nefarious or criminal? Of course not. And I said, I, I need you to understand that this is a psychological threat for many of us mm. and for good reason. So it's not just it's not just fantasy. And when I share this with you, I need you to take it seriously and not to mock 
or dismiss what I'm saying to you. So we had to have a real talk, as we say, in the community that I grew up in. So it's, it's you know, like I would say to you, to, in terms of all those questions, it's complex, right? It's, it's not simple. It's nuanced. There's a lot of different factors. There's a lot of beauty in that as well. And so when I think about being Black or African-American, I first always go to the beauty of it. And at the same time, it's just, it's complex. And there's a level of complexity that I think a lot of people, particularly people who are are white or non-Black, don't always understand, but yet you just deal with it. And the metaphor that I always use with people is imagine that you have, like imagine some of you have your cell phone, for example, and sometimes you'll wonder what's draining my battery. And then you realize, oh, there's an app that was left open that didn't close out. Mm. Well, that's what racism is like for the African-American in the United States and really around the globe, unless you're in Africa, but there's still internalized racism there. Um, there's always this, this energy drain that you have to deal with and that you had to say, okay, what is it? And I will tell you that when I haven't been in the United States, although yes, there certainly is racism in Western Europe and South America and Asia and whatnot, it is different. That's not as strong and as pronounced, um, which is probably why I do travel as much as I do to have that sense of freedom and to have that sense of visibility that I somehow sometimes feel here. Hmm. But it's always there. It's always in your mind. It's always a consideration and it impacts how you relate to people and impacts how they relate to you. And you know that it's somewhere at some point that has to be negotiated. Now, and with some people, it can be negotiated quickly. With others, it can be, it may take a longer time. And sometimes it can be successfully negotiated where we can just see each other's humanity and connect. And I think most days and most times I am successful, but it's always there. And more importantly, though, for the times when it's not there, it impacts every interaction you have going forward because you're wondering, am I going to be treated the same way, regarded the same way? Is there going to be some type of negative consequence? And I don't think most people, frankly, in society are aware of the fact that that is taking place. And that gets us into, you know, things like unconscious bias and those sorts of things. But it's always there. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's, it's something that's kind of you're, you're carrying with you as you, you move throughout life. And I mean, I, I take it that you're, you're pretty skilled at, at um, navigating these things <laughs> by this point. And I, I also just, I can't fully understand like how, how that's what has to happen for, for black people, you know, and, I, th- I would say this, I would say this, because uh, this gets us into empathy, right? And this is something that I actually teach. Um, isn't it kind of crazy that you, you, you teach, em- that you have to teach empathy? Uh, but it's also a good thing. So I, I teach, um, I'm a professor at uh, business school in France. And part of the MBA course I teach is around empathy and EQ. And so there may be some people listening thinking, well, how do I relate to that? And I would say to you, well, you being, you know, a person of color, you being LGBTQ, I think you understand it better than you probably give yourself credit for. I think you, you get it. Is it going to be the same? No. And that's where I think some people get tripped up when it comes to empathy because people think, well, I have to have been black or I have to be 
you know, Joel's type of black, which, you know, is a pretty unique type of black in terms of <laughs> being LGBTQ and indigenous and also <laughs> from the Midwest. Um, empathy is about connecting with the core emotion in people, not the particulars of their experience. So when I think about my experience, like I said, there's a lot of positivity in it. There's, I love who I am. I love the communities I represent. I love the knowledge that they transfer to me. I love the customs and traditions. I wouldn't change that for a minute. What I just wish is that the world would appreciate us more and that the world would see the beauty that we've given to it without so much as a down payment in return. And I would say to you, the thing that I think people can touch into is being othered, being isolated, being underappreciated, and perhaps not being seen. Now, I know that for some segments of our population, the idea of not being seen may never have occurred to them. If you walk into a bank, if you walk into a store, if you walk into um, a bar, you know, particularly if you're cisgender, you're heterosexual, you're white, you're a man, you're able-bodied, you have a certain amount of money, you're going to be seen. You're going to be heard. You're going to get imminent or full respect. You're going to be seen as ideal. You're going to be seen as normalized. And those may be things that some people may not be able to understand. But what I would ask people to understand is just to connect with feeling different, feeling undervalued, being feared, being prejudged. Hmm. Those are the, the negative aspects of the journey, not the entire spectrum of the journey, but just the negative aspects of the journey that, yeah, I think that a lot of people can relate to because it is part of the human experience, right? I mean, yeah. I do, I think we are spiritual beings in this dimension, but sometimes when I talk to spiritualists, they forget that, yes, although we're spiritual beings, we are very much still, the second part of that phrase is we are having a human experience, which means we're going to deal with crap and we're going to deal with people not seeing us and people prejudging us and for reasons that are beyond our control. And I think that's what I want people to tap into is um, that, but also to be aware of how do you regard and interact with black people? Because I have so many stories. I mean, one of the beautiful things about this time is that we've seen black resilience come up. So among my black uh, friends, and I don't, I don't segregate my friends, uh, my friendship and my circle looks like the United Nations, but when I'm specifically having conversations with other African Americans, other black people, we joke about a lot of this stuff. We laugh about all this stuff because what else are we going to do, mm -hmm. right? So we talk about, for example, um, I was joking with uh, someone the other day about, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll have little kids wander up to me. For some reason, I attract kids and, and animals and elderly people. So I have little babies, little kids uh, wandering up to me and I love to talk to kids. I love children. And the way some parents will just respond, like you're going to eat their children. Like, come on, you know, you know, it, you can see the, 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 hear the frenzy in their voice, hear the discomfort, the anxiety. And, you know, obviously a little bit of that may be, you know, wanting to protect your children from a stranger or someone who you don't know. But at the same time, what you can also pick up too is their discomfort of not knowing how I'm going to respond to their child or them having discomfort of how they're going to respond to me. That's something that we joke about. We joke about the surprise of going into a boardroom and someone saying, 
um, being surprised that, oh, you know, um, you, you're the person here to lead us today. You're the person here who's the expert. You're the person who's the doctor. Uh, you get that. I mean, so there are things that we talk about um, even so much as when we get pulled over. I mean, the we call it the um, law enforcement boogie. When you get pulled over by a cop, there's a standard pose that you have to assume a position. Arms out, hands clearly showing, no herky-jerky moves, nothing too sudden. Make sure that you look them dead in their eye, don't reach for anything, and make sure that you are being completely diplomatic because your life depends on it. Now, I've learned that since I was basically, what, six years old. Something that your, your mom or mm-hmm. your dad? My family told me at a very early age that the world was mine, but that I was going to have to work twice as hard as someone who was white to get probably the same things. And I would say that that's been probably the case. Um, they told me that life isn't always fair. They taught me to not let life destroy or take away my joy and my love for people. And they said that just understand that people are going to judge you for reasons that have nothing to do with your character. And you're going to have to deal with that. Mm. And that's a very sobering message. And when I talk to young people, what I sometimes grapple with is how do I nurture their optimism, but then prepare them for the real world. So for example, when I'm overseas or when I'm talking, you know, I have people say to me, I want to come to the U S and these are, you know, I have friends in Rwanda. I have friends in Nigeria. I have friends in Kenya. I've talked to Afro French students who said, I want to come to the U S what is it like? Well, what do I tell them? Do I just tell them, you know, it's the land of milk and honey, which, <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of opportunity here, but I feel like I would be remiss. I would be dishonest if I didn't tell them that there's a culture shock and that they're going to face and they're going to be walking into a world, a dimension that many of them are familiar with. But if they grew up in Africa, though, that they have no clue of being the minority and being minoritized and what that's like. And it broke my heart, frankly, to have those conversations with people because I don't, I, I see possibility. I wake up and see what's, when people say something can be done, I see how it can be done. And I think, you know, I very much subscribe to the principle that your thoughts create your reality. So it's all about positive psychology and realizing that I can do whatever I want. That's how I was raised. But I was raised to know that I'm going, I can do all that, but that the racism is a hurdle. And so how do you explain it to someone who has never really dealt with that or seen it or they've seen it, but they don't, is one thing to think about it intellectually. And it's another thing to deal with it emotionally and spiritually. Like when you're in the mix, you're like, oh my God, um, what is this like? What is it like to walk past a car where they lock the doors or a person grabs their purse or, you know, to, you know, try to date and people are telling you that, you know, they're, um, they don't date. Um, there's just a certain type of personal color that they don't date and they mm-hmm. date everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I had that experience uh, when I first moved to San Francisco where I was on um, match.com or something like that. And <laughs> I'll never forget this guy said to me in his profile, actually, he said, he said, I will date white, uh, Asian, Polynesian, Native American, biracial. I mean, he went down the whole smorgasbord, right? All the 31 flavors from Baskin and Robbins, for those of you who remember Baskin and Robbins. <laughs> but, when he, but everything, Muslim, Arab, um, 
you name it, but he would not date African-American. And I've also seen some of that internalized racism from other African-American gay men too. And it's just odd. And so these are all the things that we laugh about in the community. Mm. And we, it hurts and it stinks, but you also have to continue to find joy and to see your own beauty. And that is something that I had to learn when I was a kid. And now it's ingrained in me so that I, I don't have to spend as much time on it, but there are still times where you had to remind yourself that I, I belong, I deserve blank. I am just as beautiful, I'm just as capable, and I am just as American as anybody else. And I'm deserving of the same rights, privileges, and benefits as anybody else. Um, and then sometimes it's hard to have that hope and aspiration when you also know the reality, but that's kind of the spiritual lesson for us as people of color, period, is to hold on to what you think you deserve, despite what the reality might be around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I... Um... I just think how you articulate your, yourself and your experience and your thoughts is just so uh, beautiful and, and poignant. And I, um, I, I was what, what came to mind um, during part of what you were sharing was how I have experienced um, like this kind of pure, open heart, like loving uh, expression of myself. And then something happened at one point in my life where it just boom was taken away or like crushed and it hurt so bad. And I just think back to that time and and I just contracted Mm -hmm. and, and, and slowly find myself open again and then boom. And, and there's just been so many of those experiences being gay, um, being a person of color, um, that I, that it's, yeah, it's hard to, to, to feel like, yeah, I really belong in this world. And, and I'm there, that nothing is wrong with me, even though other people seem to have their own opinions and views about who I am and kind of project those onto me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think you described it perfectly this, cause I, I see myself as a wholehearted man. And what does that mean? That Everything I do comes from the heart. And I, I, I thought about that even before I, I just found out that Brene Brown, I guess, uses that terminology. I didn't know that. You know, that's how that's funny. But um, it's natural for me to lead with the heart and to be open. And then I remember uh, in middle school or in elementary school, being different than the other boys, I uh, still play uh, sports and did those types of things. I still love sports to this day, but just not being as aggressive and um, with it. And then, so then you contract then, but then you open back up and then I get to school and I'm being, uh, the fact that I'm just as smart as, as the smartest white kids, if not smarter, you know, them uh, taking shots at me and then you, you contract and then you open again and then I get to high school and then, find out that my high school principal believed that blacks were intellectually inferior and then you close and then you open again. And then, I mean, it's it's a constant, it's like a rhythm. It's a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you have to do that to protect yourself. And I think at this point you you didn't get to a point where you're so steeled that uh, these things come and you can pretty much brush them off. 
Um, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of healing. And there aren't always a lot of resources within society to tell you, you know, black man, gay man, queer person, woman, uh, person with a disability, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you heal? How can you do this? Because you're, you're getting uh, unrelenting um, messages all the time. You're getting daggers thrown at you all the time. And it's a lot. And so, you know, there's a book out that was published a long time ago called Why Black People Tend to Shout. And it talks about basically the, the rage and all the instabilities that we deal with, that we swallow, that we suppress, that we hide. And then at some point we let them out. And, and when we do, we're labeled things such as angry black person. And mm-hmm. it's about just letting out that release valve so that we can get back to our humanity and get back to our joy and get back to our love. Because I, once again, I do think that uh, and know for certain that the communities that I belong to and, and every community, but I can only speak to the communities I belong to. There's so much love that we want to give back to the world. And there's so much love that we bring to the world and how beautiful it would be if we could just get past these illusions of separation so that people could see what it is all of us have to bring. And that's really what it comes down to for me. So when we go back to what does it mean to be black in America? What is it like to deal with George Floyd? What does it mean to deal with law enforcement? It means to deal constantly with this idea that people are telling me that I'm disconnected from them and that they're disconnected from me. And having to remind people that, well, you know, you may not like, um, you may not like the idea of being connected to this black person. You may not like the idea that they're, uh, your liberation is tied with theirs. You may not like the idea that their experiences impact yours, but that's the truth. And um, that's what, makes me hopeful because I think we're starting to see a little bit of that realization for people that you can't do to one without doing to others and you can't do to others without doing to yourself. Mm-hmm. We are all connected. Mm-hmm. And there are many of us in the community who are saying, yeah, we've been telling you this for a while. <laughs> we're glad that you finally got the message. Um, so it's, it's, it's being black is about constantly forgiving constantly being civil in the face of numerous incivilities and microaggressions and always having to be the bigger person, but then sometimes realizing I don't long, I no longer have the, the power and the strength to be the bigger person. I simply want to be human and allow full breath, give full breath to my experience. And that's what's happening now. I think that's why you're seeing some of the grief and the trauma and the exhaustion is because people are like, I can't hold this valve anymore. I can't hold back this, the, you know, hold the dam. I've got to allow myself to be human. And I think that's good because we cannot be superhuman anymore. I don't want to be superhuman. I, I want to allow myself this space to be, um, to be myself and not have to be superhuman. And I think a lot of black people, frankly, and a lot of people of color have, feel like they have to be superhuman and they do in order to be in U S society, uh, specifically. I think about just how being in uh, this experience of COVID and how it's just everything is kind of slowed down in my life. I, I've just had so much more time to be with my feelings and my emotions and and really like be with them in a way that I, I wouldn't normally have because I'd be working and constantly going and in that 
uh, rhythm or practice of just going, going, going. I, I describe living in San Francisco as like running in a hamster wheel for me. Um, and just for various reasons, uh, whether it's the cost of rent, <laughs> keeping up with my practice, being um, self-employed, all, all of the above. And I'm just so grateful for this time of being able to slow down and be with. And, and I, I feel like um, it's one of the blessings that, it, that has come from, from this experience in, in my life, at least. And um, I, I hear you, you, you talked about um, like things that are, are resourcing. And I'm, I'm curious, like what, what is resourcing for you in, in this time, in this moment? And are there certain practices that you have or, or turn to? Yeah, um, I have to. I mean, I, no one, of course, wants to see the deaths. I think we're what we've just crossed the 112,000 threshold here in the United States. I think I forget what the count is globally. Um, so obviously don't wish that on anybody. Don't want people to lose their savings, their income, their businesses. Don't want people to feel like they're displaced. So all that aside, I've really enjoyed this time from a spiritual perspective because I think this is a time for going inward. I've enjoyed being able to hear the birds. I've enjoyed less traffic in the city. I've enjoyed just slowing down, which is parallel with my own journey and trajectory of wanting to slow down and to go within. And I think what's happening for a lot of people, and it, it's, it's scaring some people, let's just be real, it's scaring some people because they, you know, you figure if you don't have work and we're very work-centered society, if we don't have, we're not focused on making money, we're not focused on social media, we're not focused on consumption, if we're not focused on uh, drugs and alcohol or whatever might take us away from our reality, we're not focused just on mindless sex, then what do we have to focus on? That means we have to look within. If all the things that we have avoided, we got to look within. And that can be scary and that can be uncomfortable, but it's very necessary if we want to grow. And it's necessary for us to grow individually and it's necessary for us to grow collectively. So I, that's the space I, where I dwell. I always am finding space to go internally. So what does that look like for me in terms of my medicine, which is how I refer to it? It means meditation, which I need, need to do today. Uh, it means my gratitude journal or my thank account, as I call it. And I got that from a friend of mine, Julian Gordon, who's a thought leader who dubbed it as such. Um, it means getting into green space. So I haven't been able to travel. I was supposed to already have been in Colombia, India, and France. And so I've, I've applied my explorer energy to the bay. So I'm, I'm doing what I call a San Francisco park tour. I'm finding new parks every week to go to. And I've discovered a lot that are not uh, frequented a lot. So they're quiet and just getting the green space. I've been hiking, biking, running. So movement can't play basketball right now, but movement, creativity, I'm a storyteller and a poet. So, um, that's part of also what I teach when I'm overseas and I teach in the business school is, um, artistry and creativity, innovation for leaders. So I've been writing. So the valve has come on and then connecting with people in an authentic way. So, you know, I make sure I, I set my limits. So I have, I connect with maybe five, no more than, you know, four or five conversations a day short, but just connecting with people who I care about, people who are part of my circle. 
and then rest and just align myself to really breathe and not feel like I have to go from moment to moment doing something. I haven't watched a lot of TV or listened to a lot of music. And that's been good for me. Um, it's really helped me to maintain my balance, my equilibrium. I will be honest, there, you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the time is great. There's still some days where I'm like, okay, I've done all of it. Now what? Like I'm still feeling on edge. I'm still feeling, you know, a little lonely because I am single. But 90% of the time, I'm really good. And I, I enjoy time by myself. But I, I do miss, I guess in, the, in San Francisco, I don't feel like I'm am too constrained. I can still order takeout. I can still go to the parks. I can still go to the beach. Uh, I have internet service. I don't feel too constrained. I've done interior design work in my house, uh, painted this and that. But that's what been, what's been my medicine. And... Um, Continuing to listen to um, my heart and my spirit and to say, what else do I need to focus on and uh, how else can I grow? And also some days just being okay with, I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to be uh, restful. See, I was about to say lazy. I caught <laughs> myself, right? Be restful. And just, um, just existing. You know, I don't, not having to do anything because even sometimes if you're not doing anything uh, business oriented, we can get into what I call this intensity of, I need to do yoga. I need to meditate. I need to write. I need to do this. Mm -hmm. and, this. and you're replacing one form of busyness with another form, which I don't think is helpful either. Yeah. So I've been, I've, I've been doing all of it. Um, I think I've been pretty successful with it um, and how I've held it, but that that's what works for me. Mm. And, and one thing that I noticed as, as you kind of caught yourself rather than saying lazy, um, it, I think it's really important to be aware of, of the thoughts and the words that we're using to, to feed ourselves <laughs> um, because that, that makes a huge impact on how we feel about ourselves. And I just appreciate you, you modeling that and, and sharing uh, some of the practices that, that have been working for you and, I'm also curious, like what's, um, what's, what's helping you with the grief and, and the sadness that's also here? Uh, naming it, uh, being vulnerable, uh, not feeling like I have to hide it, not feeling like I have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Not feeling like I have to mask, just name it saying, yeah, today I'm feeling this or today I'm feeling that and sharing it with people who can hold that space because not everybody can. Yeah. Right. And yeah. God bless them. Everybody's on their, you know, at their own place on their journey. But I have my, my circle, um, you know, support, you, support mm -hmm. group. Yeah. You, your Network. partner, your partner has been part of that too, where he'll say, how are you? And I'll just say, I'm this. And he'll say, got it. What can I do? Um, so I've also done that, but I've also used those, those times I've transmuted that energy at times to focus on well, how can I be there for other people? So if I'm feeling lonely sometimes, or if I'm feeling blah, uh, what can I do for other people? So holding space for other people. Uh, I took, I bought lunch for, I took a gift, a gift card or gift certificate to an emergency room for some of the, um, 
frontline workers, frontline healthcare workers, mm-hmm. um, that can help transmute that energy too. Um, so those are things that I think have been really helpful for me, but naming it because you have to, you can't resolve what you don't acknowledge and you have to go through to get beyond. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of toxic positivity that sometimes exists where we can't talk about anything negative because that means we're being, uh, we're not being good or we're being a negative person. I don't, you know, to me, emotions are emotions. They're just data. So I think making space for that, um, has really been helpful. And, um, yeah. And, but then when I feel it, then saying, okay, what am I going to do in this moment? If I need to feel it, feel it. If not, then go run, uh, go get into some green space, listen to some music, put on some, some R and B, some hip hop, do what you need to do. Dance. Uh, go get a cookie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, all these different things. So um, you have to figure out what works for you. Even movement sometimes is helpful. So I do all those things. And I also, I'm a hugger. I am missing getting hugs right now. Mm. I miss hugs so much. So give myself a hug. Um, and I can tell you that when uh, the restrictions are lifted, at least for this phase of COVID, uh, you might there's going to be news of a serial hugger in San Francisco. So you're going to see me all over the city. Like, can I just hug you wherever you might be? Um, And I definitely wish and want to go and hug my mom. I want to hug my brother. I want to hug my sister. I want to hug my friends. Um, So I'm looking forward to doing that. Hmm. I look forward to, to being able to do that too. I miss it. I miss seeing my family as well. I um I wanted to ask you a question uh, before we wrap things up. Um, who in your life uh, has has impacted you the most, and um, maybe what's what's one thing that really is stuck with you um, that you experience with that person or that being or whoever? Yeah. Um, well, there's two people who come to mind instantly. Uh, my mom. Perfect example of love. Uh, my mom is uh, my rock, but I would and I would also say my uncle. And my uncle, who was like my dad, uh, was the a sergeant with Milwaukee Police Department. He's no longer with us in this dimension. So you you may hear me get choked up, and I'm okay with that. Um, but he's here with me every single day, and in particular during these recent events i've thought about how he would respond what he would say what he would do in the community to try to calm people down to assure them that everything's going to be okay and to let them know that there are people here law enforcement that want to do the right thing what do i miss or and what do i love about my uncle's energy is my uncle was always the type of person who listened and he didn't preach he didn't dismiss your feelings he just listened and he would share his experiences but he never told me what to do he just asked questions and he listened and um i miss him every single day Mm. and when i think about my own having my own children uh and when i have my own family and i think about just engaging with people what i always remind myself is just listen 
you know, uh, one of my friends says all the time, the short, the, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And I think the biggest gift that you can give people is to share or to receive their story. And that's what I want to do. And that's what my uncle has always done and always did for me was, especially when I was coming out, uh, was to listen and to humbly and graciously receive my story. And so as we, as a society, continue to mature and heal and evolve, I would love to see more of that, of us just being able to receive and hear story and to get beyond the transactional conversations of what do you do and actually get into how are you, what's going on, what's giving you joy, how can I support you? And then, of course, reminding them, I see you, I hear you, I love you, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. That's what he did for me. He sounds like an amazing man. He was, and he still is, wherever he is, floating through the universe and living his best spiritual life, he definitely was. And it sounds like you you channel him quite a bit. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, I'm trying. I can't say thank you enough for um, being uh, who you are. And, and just modeling um, what I envision is um, just somebody who's, who's humble, who um, speaks from their heart, who cares, and who has the willingness to forgive and to understand where people are coming from. Thank you for... for impacting um me in in such a beautiful way and and i hope that whoever listens um is able to to hear the wisdom (laughs) Mm. well thank you um for inviting me love you um honored to have these conversations honored to slow down and to connect in heart space and um it's been a pleasure and um, I would like to, you know, in closing, just tell people, despite everything that's happened, it is still a good day to be black. I love you, Joel. Thank love you. you. All right. Be well. You too. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about me and the work that I do in the world, You can find my website at samsebastian.com. That's S-A-M-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N.com. Additionally, if you're interested in connecting with Dr. Joel Brown, you can contact him at joel at numos.com. That's J-O-E-L at P-N-E-U-M-O-S dot com. Much love.